the bedroom. In this part of the house, you're not supposed to sleep beneath a mirror or a bookshelf or a painting. But as she steps into the bedroom, Nora guesses her daughter gambled with her life long before the aneurysm bloomed, then burst in her brain. A framed poster of a baby's head crowning from the mouth of a flower pot is positioned six inches above the headboard. It could have shaken loose during the night and crushed Claire's skull. Claire, collapsing like a puppet unstrung, her mother and father flying down to do what needed to be done. Nora takes a long, shrewd look at the poster and feels something twist in her abdomen. She doesn't care for babies, she thinks. She hasn't cared for them since having Claire 30 years ago. But still, there's this sharp pain, like a surge, as if somebody has stuck her with a voodoo pin. She assesses. The rug and the floor near the doorway is worn. The paint on the wall is unevenly coated. The window shade is tattered and the bed frame is cheap. The bed has been stripped of its sheets, likely by Henry, who was here earlier to dispose of anything unpleasant, and the mattress looks deformed with the left side sagging towards the floor. Nora wonders which side Claire slept on. Nora had Henry stop at the grocery store to pick up cleaning supplies on their way over here. She finds the plastic bags hastily dropped in the middle of the room, filled with sponges, J-cloths, antibacterial wipes, bleach, lime-scented window cleaner, and garbage bags. Nora feels intimidated by the task at hand. There is no apparent place to start, she feels. Claire left nothing substantial behind. No clothes worth donating, no novels or magazines or textbooks to offer secondhand. Under the bed, months of dust. It is bad luck to sweep there when trying to call a child home. It is bad luck to throw anything out. No personal traces of Claire exist in the house. She seems to have lived like a thief, erasing fingerprints from everywhere she touched. The kitchen. She gasps when she sees the grout between the tiles is dark with mold, a sign of bacteria in a decaying mouth. Nora takes a scotch bright pad and scrubs the floor in a furious rotation. She notices three small spindle-shaped scraps, like blackened grains of rice, at the foot of the refrigerator. Nora stops, pinches one of the pieces between her rubber-gloved fingers to feel its texture. Mice. Nora drops the pad into the garbage under the sink. She sprays the floor with bleach and wipes it down again with a J-cloth. She throws a quick glance around the kitchen and remembers she heard somewhere that mouse droppings were poisonous and plentiful. That in one day, a mouse can deposit up to 50 droppings that dry and release a toxic virus into the air. Nora gags and staggers away from the floor to sit at the kitchen table. This is when she hears the noise. A shuffling. A scratching. She cocks her head and listens. It is very faint, but she is sure she can hear something. A sound of crumpled newspaper swelling in a wastebasket. A persistent gnawing coming from the wall. The cupboards. The floor. There is definitely something here, she thinks. Something alive. When she first catches sight of it, she thinks it is an irregular pattern of the linoleum. Or a crack in the floor. 
She bends at the waist, careful not to make a sound to look closer at the crooked fiber that pokes out from under the rounded hem of the stove. She spreads her rubber glove fingers wide and reaches out. Breathing heavily, she leans further forward and presses down. A rise of muscle, a tremor of nerves, and then the fiber wriggles beneath the weight of her palm. Nora emits a small, strained scream and thinks for a second that she is hallucinating, that mice tails are supposed to be thick, pink, and fleshy, like cooked ham. But this fiber is brown, almost black, and resembles more of a length of knitting yarn. Nora's stomach turns. She leans against the stove and fumbles to open the drawer directly above her shoulder. She rummages through the tray of mismatched cutlery inside and wraps a short salad fork in her rubber fist. She presses the crooked spine of the fork down against the linoleum, turns it from side to side, and grinds the threadbare tail into the grout. The mouse erupts into a static, panicky squeal. Nora's ears flood and an electrical charge knots up her spine, making her feel strangely elongated. The tail worms away. Nora drops the fork, rises, and retches into the sink. Horrified with the violence that overtook her, she collapses on the kitchen floor. The microwave clock shows 1.30. Henry is not yet left for the dump site. Henry! cries Nora. She gets up off the floor and hurries under the corridor to the hallway. She takes hold of the banister and leans over, calling out to her husband in an insistent tone. What is it? says Henry, his voice far away. It's me. She waits to hear his footsteps rush towards her. Instead, she hears him walking above her. I'm up here, says Henry, his voice carried by a draft that sweeps down the staircase. Nora scans the second floor landing, her eyes fixate on the furthermost door next to the empty linen closet. Earlier the door was locked, but the door is open now. The Attic Nora stops to catch her breath on the landing. I'll try to let in some air, Henry calls out, but so many years have passed that the hooks and bolts have paralyzed the shutters with rust. What is it? Nora enters the attic. It is the first thing she sees when her tiny, unmuscular body appears in the narrow doorframe. She hesitates, unwilling to come further inside. Her head lolls sideways, and her eyes glint with recognition at the dollhouse that sits by the edge of the door. Where did that come from? she asks. It is a two-story Victorian with a center gable. The cedar siding exterior is unpainted, though it is clear that Claire, in a youthful outburst, gave some thought to its interior decoration. The walls are stenciled with colorful flowers, and the furniture, or what is left of it, is arranged tidily, glued to the mismatched wood floor panels. Other commonplace objects are strewn throughout to serve another purpose. A charm from a bracelet is now a rocking horse in the nursery. A jigsaw puzzle piece is transformed into a picture frame. An inhaler makes an oversized fire hydrant for the kitchen. The sight of the house fills Nora with anxiety. Memories are like swamps, she considers, unwanted and muggy, and they leave you standing still. The dollhouse had been given to Claire on her 11th birthday. 
nor hoped Claire, as a child, would take careful joy in choosing the color and design of each room, that she would spend hours scaling wallpaper pattern samples, cutting them into 12-inch miniature strips, and weight the doll's cloth torsos with cotton balls and BB gun pellets. The dollhouse would be an in-between space for Claire, who had been so full of aversions to exist both inside and out. But Claire came to neglect the dollhouse, abandoning it in the attic after she moved to this house in a town three hours away from her parents and left it inhabited by carelessness and disregard. Figurine limbs are scattered crudely on overturned chairs, decapitated heads, their hand-blown gray glass eyes peering out from under the void of their matchbox beds. Nora is disturbed. Claire remains incomprehensible to her, inaccessible and foreign too. How could she be my daughter, she says. Henry looks at her from across the attic with a worried brow. He crosses his arms across his chest and frowns. He has a large mouth, Nora thinks. It looks as though it belongs to someone else. What should we do with it? Henry asks. Well, Nora says, we're going to have to throw it away. You can't throw it away. It cost me $50 in 1988. An awkward moment passes between them. We could bring it down to the goodwill, Henry reasons. I don't think they'd take something like this. It's not for poor people. Then we can place an ad and sell it. We could get 60, maybe 74. These aren't easy to come by nowadays. Henry, says Nora, I don't think we have any use selling this house. Henry veers awkwardly towards her and affably caresses the curve of her neck with his long white fingers. Nora writhes discontentedly and says, Can you not touch me with just your fingertips? Does it really bother you? Either touch me or don't touch me. Nora says. Henry moves away from her and resumes prying open the shutters. Nora's eyes dart around the room. She inhales deeply and leans back to look up at the beamed roof above. A picture wire wrought across the length of the attic is suspended a foot in the air above her head. She swipes at the wire to gauge its tenacity. Henry says, a laundry line for when it's raining outside, I think. He manages to wrench open one of the north-facing windows, letting in the smell of wet clay from the walkway below. Nora does not reply. Her eyes fixated on the dollhouse, she wonders if the stale scent of wetted-down dust and the years of neglect will burn off better with fire or with bleach. Leave it here, she says, her voice almost a whisper. The Bathroom Nora does a peculiar thing. She locks the door and runs a tub of steaming water. She opens the medicine cabinet, only to find it empty. It doesn't occur to her that Henry has already been here and pitched the expired condoms into the garbage to avoid any embarrassment concerning Claire's private life. Nora rests on the lip of the tub. She feels fragile, like a dilapidated raft, solitary, ravaged, old. There is a lurching in her stomach, and she thinks how ugly she must look, green with the desire to vomit. Her hands reek of chemicals and my shit. For a moment, she thinks how easy it would be to tip back over the edge of the tub and sink beneath the boiling water, or to collapse forward and fracture her skull against the toilet bowl, 
to lie on the floor unconscious, relieved to finally resign herself to gravity. And here, she thinks how strange that only now does she realize she is alone. The hallway. Across the main entrance to the house is a screen door. Beyond that, the front door is ajar, held open by the weight of the dollhouse Henry has placed as a substitute doorstop. Nora looks through the screen, out into the street at the garbage bags piled up on the curb. She thinks how quickly the day has passed. She expects this, of course. Nevertheless, she feels as though something is drawing steadily away from her. She wonders if Henry feels the same, and she thinks to remind herself to ask him once she cleans the front hall closet. She opens the closet door to find it empty. However, on the back of the door hangs a blue apron on a nail. Nora looks at the crust of filth caked on the front of the apron, slips her hand into the front pocket, and feels the smooth edges of a photograph. But she doesn't pull it out, not immediately. Her slim fingers dig down still deeper and touch something else, something cold. A doll's head. Nora grabs hold of it, curls her fingers around it, and draws it towards her own face. The doll's face is pale, thin-lipped, with careful pleats in her features, her dark eyes drawn tight. With her other hand, Nora takes the photograph from the apron. The corners are curled and the colors bleached, but she can see a little girl in the photograph wearing a pink t-shirt and white shorts. She stands awkwardly beside an older woman whose hair is black and severely pulled back behind her head. Nora can't remember when this picture was taken. Claire looks as if she is 14, maybe 15. The occasion and the reason to capture this moment forever is long forgotten. Nora glances away from the photo, then reaches her hand out in front of her, as if it is suddenly necessary to get rid of the contents in her hand. She looks towards the dollhouse and kneels down. Reaching into one of the miniature bedrooms, she attaches the doll's head to one of the brittle wooden figurines slumped over a matchbox. Nora turns the porcelain cast head towards her. In the blue-green light of the hallway, the painted face looks as though the doll has been dead for at least a week. Nora folds the photograph and neatly slips it underneath the upturned carpeting in the attic. She retrieves a handkerchief from her pocket, holds the cloth against her face for a moment, and firmly presses it into her eyes. The Living Room This place gets darker and darker, Nora says. Even the light bulbs look dark. The living room has dimmers on the lights. Henry sees no sense in them staying in the living room much longer, so he has left the lights as near to off as they can be and still be on. Nora stands by the window to survey the landscape of the empty room. Henry is standing in the doorway, anxious to get on their way, to drive out to the other side of town to abandon Claire's bed, kitchen table, dresser, and dollhouse at the dump site. He asks her how she feels about leaving the house. Nora misunderstands, shrugs and says fine. She imagines what it feels like to come home to this house, to inhabit the space any differently, to sit in this room and feel no trepidation, no need for reassurance, to lay awake upstairs anticipating the dawn, 
staring at the ceiling or at her own face in the bathroom mirror without a wrinkle of uneasiness marking her expression. She stirs nervously. As the shadowy corners of the room collapse inwards, forming insubstantial shapes in her peripheral vision, Nora turns to look at Henry, but he is not there. She squints to steady her gaze and looks across the room into its darkness, doubtful of the future. A door slams and the house reverberates. Nora feels a strain build in her chest and she realizes she's been holding her breath. She calls out, did you leave me? There's nobody in the house at all.